I'm just so excited to talk to you because not only is Shakespeare in paradise, literally Shakespeare in paradise. Yeah. <laughs> but but because of the 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 size of size of the country, I'm I'm assuming that Shakespeare in Paradise is the national theater. Am I wrong about that? Um, okay, so not exactly wrong, but not exactly right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 794, Shakespeare in Paradise. exactly wrong but not exactly right that is the story of my life the annual conference of the shakespeare theater association will be held next year in 2023 in nassau in the bahamas and hosted by shakespeare in paradise an annual festival committed to exposing bahamian audiences to a range of productions from classical theater traditions around the world while at the same time celebrating and developing bahamian theater artists Founded in 2009 by Nicolette Bethel and her husband Philip Burroughs, Shakespeare in Paradise is the only international theater festival of its kind in the Caribbean, so not only am I excited to go there next January, I was thrilled to talk to Nicolette about the origins of Shakespeare in Paradise and the complicated nature of what those words actually mean. have a national theater. What we have is a community theater that's been going on for uh, 60, 60, I can't remember, 50 to 60 years. Um, and Shakespeare in Paradise is one of the resident companies in the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. And it is made up of people who were founders of the Dundas Repertory Company back in the 1980s. So it's effectively the National Theater, but it doesn't have government support or corporate support or anything like that. We basically, we keep it going wow. by hook or by crook. I'm dying to know how you first came to Shakespeare and how Shakespeare in Paradise began. Okay, so I was an English major and my first degree, I was an English major so that's how I came to Shakespeare. I actually, for anybody who knows nowadays what this means, I was at the University of Toronto and I took Shakespeare with Northrop Fry, who was like the leading, okay, you know, all right, great. Yeah. <laughs> the leading Canadian scholar in Shakespeare. And, um, and then my TA was, was A.L. Leggett, who took over from Fry also. But so I had a really great grounding in Shakespeare um, at that time, but I just read it. I just did it as literature. I did not do it as theater. I was doing theater of different kinds um, through my association with the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. But one of the things that we did not do in the Bahamas was Shakespeare for all kinds of reasons. Um, but mostly because I think we were all kind of brainwashed into thinking that, you know, Shakespeare, you have to be, you know, grand and great and trained and you know all of that stuff so we didn't do Shakespeare there were two companies that did productions when we were studying um in high school of course you do your requisite 
Romeo and Juliet and in our case, Julius Caesar was one of the things that always seemed to get taught. And the other one was Merchant of Venice and Midsummer Night's Dream. That was the sort of, that was like the, the circuit of, of Shakespeare plays that used to get done. And then we also had um, the opportunity in my high school, I had a Scotsman as my English teacher. So guess what we read? <laughs> <laughs> a tragedy, I'm guessing. <laughs> a tragedy, exactly, with great enthusiasm. So he was the person who probably got me interested in Shakespeare before anything else, was that exposure to the Scottish play by my Scottish, um, my Scottish English teacher. But uh, yeah, and then, yeah, so I had my English training and I had my theater. They didn't come together until my husband and I were introduced to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I apologize. We're going to have dogs in the background, if that's okay with dogs you. Dogs are never an issue. Okay, great. Yeah, so we went to Oregon, and we saw Shakespeare plays interpreted in ways that blew our minds. And we were like, oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do this. And it was really when we saw A Measure for Measure, directed, I think, and adapted at that time by Libby Apple, that was, I think, a cast of seven or eight, completely doubled, all, they played their opposites. Mm -hmm. um, and we saw Midsummer Night's Dream with a puck who was a biker. And we were like, oh, this is cool. And so we thought, well, we can do that. We can do that. And there was also a potential patron of the arts, a Canadian, woman by the name of Rosanna Seaborn, um, who had written an adaptation of the Scottish play, a Bahamian adaptation of it, and had been trying to get it produced for about 30 years. And so after we saw OSF, Philip said, oh yeah, I remember this thing that came across my desk 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe we should go back and look at it. And we did. And she, by this time was like, if you want to produce it, feel free. I will give you $10,000 to go towards the production. Huh? Yeah. What? She was, yeah, she was, she was, she lived in life at key. She was not, um, she was, she didn't hurt for money. And she was really, really enthusiastic about this project, about theater, about what we did. Um, largely because she had come to us to say she wanted to, to do Driving Miss Daisy and to play Miss Daisy. And she also produced that and she liked our work. And so she said, go ahead and do what you want to do with Macbeth. And that was the beginning of ring play productions and what we started to do. So our, our production company that we founded at the beginning of the 21st century, the first thing we did was a Shakespeare play, which was, believe you me, I had a lot of convincing of my of our executive. Philip and I were on board, but our executive were like, uh, we can't do Shakespeare. Um, and I guess the main selling point was, well, this is on the syllabus. We have a built-in audience in the schools. So we can't lose in that regard. Let's just do it. Just trust us and see what happens. And it came off extremely well. We did it in a non-traditional space. We turned the witches into talk show hosts because at the, Bahamas, the Bahamas had just got talk show hosts. 
and we built a scaffolding and we put their radio studio up on top of the scaffolding so that it looked like everything else that was going on down on the floor was being controlled by them. And then they would climb down out of the booth and take on minor characters who kind of push the plot in different ways, um, like the murderers or Satan or mm. um, different characters mm. like that. And yeah, and it was a it was it it was a really good production, if I say so, and it was really well received. And what I love about that is is you know nothing bores me more than people telling you uh, or anyone uh, uh, Shakespeare must be done in a certain way. It sounds like you're you're not doing Shakespeare um, uh, the way it's supposed to be done. You're doing it for your audience, for so they understand it. And I think that's uh, astonishing. That's great. That was exactly right. And the other thing was that we also we also use the music of Queen because why not? My, why not? Exactly. There's a killer queen in the play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. You know, and and the more we listened to the Queen album, the Queen collection, we were like, oh, this song could go here, and this song could go there. And our, you know, our radio talk show hosts, we open up with Radio Gaga, and you know, we just found so many things that went with that that with that play, and that was the only thing in our repertoire until we decided to found the festival Shakespeare in Paradise and create the company that runs the festival. And then that meant that we had to find a Shakespeare. We had to produce Shakespeare every year. And that's taken us to some interesting places. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Hey, let's do this every year. Oh my God, now we have to do this every year. Now we have to do this every year. And there's, and, and we're not, uh, we're not the kind of company that's gonna complete the canon. That is not part of our goal because I'm not sure that the whole canon is going to sell, is going to really speak to our audiences. So we've gone through basically all of the plays that are on the syllabus, except for one, which is currently on the syllabus, Richard III. We haven't done that one. So that's probably coming up. Well, and there are there are some of Shakespeare's plays that not, not only will they not sell, they arguably maybe shouldn't ever be done anymore. You understand? There are some that, yes, we agree. So we are really trying to communicate with our audience to reduce the fear that we have all had about Shakespeare because we were taught that, that he's not for us, right? Right. He's, right? So... That's inside us somewhere. Anybody who was raised at my time, in, in my era, it's there at an almost conscious level. And for those people who come behind us, they were taught by people who were raised with that. And so teachers are afraid of Shakespeare. And so it's just multiplying. And we're trying to take away the mystique. We're trying to take away the difficulty. Shakespeare is always hard to read. Yep. but not so hard to watch. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the productions have have actually, I think we've we've begun to create a generation of people who aren't so afraid of, of Shakespeare. Michael Whitmore, director of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C., and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Oh, oh, oh.
Where can you RSC the RSC? We're still the remote Shakespeare Company, unfortunately, but fingers crossed we'll be back finally to live performances in April of 2022 in Pennsylvania and in one of our homes away from home in Reston, Virginia. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Nicolette Bethel, the executive director of Shakespeare in Paradise, located in Nassau, the Bahamas. Are there Shakespeare plays that you've done that have connected to your audiences in ways that surprised you? Oh, yeah. We did uh, Merchant, which we set in Nassau rather than Venice. So we didn't call it Merchant of Venice. And we did something with it was that, that, that really rang true to me when I read about the public theater's Merry Wives, mm. kind of like totally transposing it, sent, putting it in Nassau and converting Shylock who is Jewish, we don't have a Jewish, we don't have a Jewish population of any size or notoriety in the Bahamas, but we do have a population of Haitian migrants and Haitian laborers and their children. Mm. And they are very much stigmatized and very, and they suffer a lot of discrimination. And so the Haitian community in the Bahamas has a very similar position to the Jewish community in Shakespeare's time. And so we made Shylock a Haitian moneylender as opposed a Haitian numbers runner who also did loans on the side. Um, yeah, and that resonated because the end of the play is actually closer perhaps to the fears of many children of Haitian migrants in the Bahamas than maybe even in Shakespeare's time because it may sound far-fetched that Shylock is exiled, but that's a real thing. Because every now and then we have sweeps and people's parents get picked up and sent back to Haiti. Oh. And children could also get sent back to Haiti. And there are people who have grown up knowing that they are illegal, who don't speak the language, who have no connection with Haiti, only their parents, and they live in fear of being sent back. And this is what happens, of course, at the end of Merchant, and that really hit home with some of our audience. And we didn't expect it to get that close. Wow, uh, that's that's amazingly powerful. I, I I love it. That's that's one of those plays that I would argue maybe we don't ever need to do again, but it sounds right. like your version is maybe was great. Yeah. Um, is theater or English what you do in your professional life when you're not running Shakespeare in Paradise? That's a good question. Okay, so... I, my first degree was in English, and then my second degree, my second and third degrees were in anthropology. So I'm an anthropologist. Oh, so cool. I can study theater as an anthropologist if I want to, because there's such a thing as anthropology and theater. Um, but yeah, that's, and I, so I'm a university professor teaching in the department of psychology, sociology, and social work. And I squeeze my theater around that, because um, nobody's paying me to do the theater right? Yeah. I'm just trying to keep this thing alive. We're just trying not to lose money. We're not try, trying not to tank. Um, so, but my paying job is, is at the university. My husband does do theater full-time. Um, so that's why we need the paying job at the university. <laughs> <laughs> He's been the artistic director of our company and of the theater for many, many years. 
That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Nicolette and I will continue this conversation next week, examining the idea of what it means to decolonize Shakespeare and how Shakespeare in Paradise is attempting to do just that. You can find out more by going to their website, shakespeareinparadise.org. Then send us your theater production that took you by surprise via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. Or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com, or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks, as always, to colonizing imperialist with a heart of gold, Matthew Croak, Web services by Ginger Power Limited. Music by John Weber and Garage Band. A random fan shout-out this week goes to Dirk Burroughs. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Michael Whitmore, the director of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Tischner, 794, 2380 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Nicolette, thank you so much for taking the t- taking so much time with me to talk talk about Shakespeare and Paradise, and also, you know, thank you too because this this white boy from California who went to Disneyland a lot now knows how to pronounce Caribbean. So thank you. Oh yeah, well, it's you can pronounce it one of two different ways, right? Some people <laughs> will say Caribbean, and that's perfectly fine, and that could be like Jamaicans might say Caribbean, but in the Bahamas we tend to say Caribbean. So either way is fine. You're very gracious. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. So much less. So much less. So much less.